peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. I am Brooke West here, Softly's lead registered dietitian nutritionist, and I'm joined with George. One of my favorite hey humans that I haven't spoken to in a long time. What's up, George? Not much. And and I want to go ahead and say this. If you do follow the Softly Instagram page, we know that Brooke is the in-house smartest person in the house. I want to say that I'm the second smartest. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. You're, you're, ta- you're taking the coveted number two spot? <laughs> I'm taking the coveted number two spot and I'm okay with that. All right. All right. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but... Yeah, it's been a while since we've been on the show together. We've been doing uh, shows individually with other individuals and trying to bring a different uh, feel to the performance podcast that instead of everyone always having to listen to me and you talk and we can bring different views, different points and and, and, and methodologies, you know, and how, how other people think and show that, hey, we're not sitting inside a box. We're actually getting outside of it. And we want you guys also to do the same thing. And that has been a huge change kind of in my mindset recently um, is, is, you know, being okay with thinking outside the box and Again, everything we do has been done before. We're just doing it in our own way. Um, and, and I think that's something that I like to lead off with just because we haven't talked to each other in a while. So, you know, our, our podcast before together, we were very, very, uh, we, as well, it was still close and everything else. I think it's still today. We will be that way. But I think you guys will enjoy the different mindsets because I think Brooke has really evolved since the last time we talked together. And I think I have also. So I'm excited for this show today. Always growing and learning and changing. Today, we're going to yep. talk about supplements, all about supplements, some of the claims people make about supplements, how the industry works and is regulated. Um, and then the really big thing we're going to tackle is do these supplements meet the claims? And also, hopefully, I would like to get your insight and personal stories because I'm sure you have some really good ones, George. Oh, oh, I have quite a few ones that I can't wait to get into. Um, so caffeine can be your friend and can be your enemy. Let's just say that. Oh Lord. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so we're talking about supplements today. Um, I really enjoy this topic just because of the fact that everyone understands that supplements is usually their priority that they want to go and look at when they go into training into health and wellness or training for some type of spe- specific event. The first question is, is what supplements should I be taking? Right. And that's kind of one thing where me and Brooke have hit this on the head plenty of times that, hey, supplements should be a supplemental thing. It shouldn't be <clears throat> your priority. And that that goes for a lot of things. And one thing I really enjoy about supplements is the fact that, like, if you can do everything right in terms of nutrition, adding these supplements on top are only going to give you that one percent extra. And I only say that one percent because that's the truth. You know, if you're not doing those small things well. And you throw this into that 1% becomes very small in terms of what you're doing as a whole. Um, so it's kind of, it's good that we're going to be able to sit here and, you know, dive deep into supplements and, and what and how they're good for us, you know, especially in terms of a well-balanced diet. Yeah, well, I think the main thing is to remember uh, is a good way to start off this topic. There's never going to be a replacement for a well-balanced, healthy diet. There is no supplement you can take that's going to negate the damage of not paying attention to your nutrition. So well, it's wait just, a minute, it's wait a, a minute. piece of the puzzle. <laughs> There's one supplement that you can take and you don't have to worry about the diet. Let's just be real here. Okay. If you're talking about some illegal enhancement, I see you giggling over there. Hey, I am not referring. The only reason why I bring it, and the reason why I bring it up, cause I'm being real. All right. Hey, that's true. That's I, true. I'm not going to lie to you. 
testosterone therapy is a thing and there's it's a thing in the tactical community so that is something that we can talk about okay. next time no you're bringing up a really great point that i want to cover you might aesthetically be meeting goals if you have something like testosterone or other steroids you might be able to reach goals you can still be metabolic metabolically damaging your body by eating a shitty diet like if you're just eating yep. red meat and inflammatory foods and you're not eating fruits and vegetables, you're still going to have not enough micronutrients and you're still going to have probably, um, you know, I don't know, high cholesterol from if you're only eating red meat or something, but you, so you still can't outrun that diet. You might look good. You might be gaining muscle, but there's still going to be these hidden underlying issues from not eating correctly. No. Don't tell me that. When I go ahead and take test therapy, it's my like superhuman drug to where it makes me better at everything. Come on now. You know that really my <laughs> title here is to hurt people's feelings. That's why I'm here for, for the reality check that that's not how oh. it works. So there it is. Again, I'm going to go back to my 1% rule that I said. If you are doing all the small things right and you do implement a supplement, it's going to give you that extra boost. But if you're not doing everything right, what's the use of even taking it? You're just wasting money. That's just how I look at it. Exactly. So the big question we're tackling today, since we both agree on this point. So what we're really going to tackle is, can these different common supplements enhance training and performance? Because that's a lot of the claims. The supplement industry puts all these different things on a label and they actually don't have to prove it. They're, the FDA is actually going to take action only if someone else is reporting them as violating guidelines the supplement industry self-regulates a lot of these claims. So they can put whatever they want on these big letters and say and claim it's going to do all these things. And it doesn't have to be backed by solid science and evidence. Hmm. So there was a show. Well, actually real quick, because there was a show on on Netflix that does talk about supplementation and how the FDA, you know, regulations work. And a lot of these supplement companies that are not under the FDA are actually not even being tested, weighed, or even seeing what kind of true products are being inside of them. That's 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 scary to me. I'm not going to lie to you. It's kind it of is. like... Well, that's when you run into issues where there are at professional athletes. This recently happened with someone I can't remember. And they went back and they tested the supplements they were taking. And they did find trace amounts of something that they tested positive for that they weren't supposed to have. So well, that, that happens, happens all the time. Yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, I've I've been a a byproduct of coaching a team who had that happen to them. You know, one of the they did that, and I've seen buddies have that happen to it. I've seen it happen in the weightlifting world, where you're trying to compete at a high level and you get popped for it. We've seen some of the gold medalists get their golds taken away from them because of this. Um, and when I say because of this, it's they know what they're doing. They just didn't cycle off or do anything properly. But when we get to the lower levels in terms of what people do or think they know. Um, it's, it's funny is what people think they know is they actually really know very little. They don't know as much as they really think they know. And until something happens like that, right? You've, you're competing at a, a national level weightlifting meet and you're taking a certain pre-workout and it says there's certain things. And all of a sudden you take first place on that platform and you come back, they drug test you and you pop, boom, it's gone. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, it's no one's fault, but yours. Cause you didn't take accountability for it. Yeah. It sucks. The the weight of the ownership of what happened is definitely on the consumer, which I don't know if I really agree with how this is working, but what's happened is because the FDA is not the one to regulate, there's these independent testing labs that will go in and they will like inspect the process from the ingredients to the assembly line to 
mixing certain things? Are, is everything cleaned in between each run of supplement? Like they have a very specific set of protocols and standards. And this testing is very expensive. So the people that are producing supplements have to take on that burden. If the consumer, you know, wants to know, which is becoming increasingly popular, but there's three independent testing labs that I'm sure you've heard of, or you've seen on labels. There's the banned substance control group, informed choice, informed sport. And then there's NSF certified and they've got labels that you'll see on supplements and things like that. But that's all it means is that these companies are having a third party come in and test things. And, uh, it helps kind of cover their asses too, because then that way the FDA will kind of leave them alone and know that they are withholding the guidelines that are kind of supposed to be the industry standards. So, so, so real quick. So these three independent testing companies, um, are not supported by the FDA, but the FDA will oversee it and be like, okay, your supplement's okay if it's tested by them. I'm not sure totally how that works. I think it's more of a marketing thing. It's a lot of money that goes into this. And so they can put a label on their product. But if one of these companies is testing it, it would definitely pass FDA guidelines. But like, have you ever, there was some crazy, there were some crazy pre-workouts that had like deer antlers in them and all these banned substances. And you would see things. Well, there was like, yeah, you're talking about deer antlers. Maybe I don't even remember. And they'll pull them off the market. There's Jack 3D too. Yeah. yeah, they'll pull them off the market because someone will say, hey, there's something in here that's not supposed to be. And no one's looking out for it. And so companies will get away with it for a little while. Someone will get in trouble. And then it causes all this, you know, hassle. And then the FDA will pull it from the market. But the FDA is not going to gotcha. mess with a supplement or take it off the market unless something goes wrong. And you don't want to wait until something goes wrong to fix it. So, yeah. so these three independent testing labs are kind of just people being proactive about that. And, and real quick, and especially when we're talking about the, the substances and supplements that have been banded or have been taken off the shelf um, and the reasons for it, right? I, I mean, I know for a fact, as an instructor at the schoolhouse, we had a kid, as I was transferring out, coming out into the civilian world and transitioning out of that position, out of the military, we had a kid actually pass away due to taking you know, a certain type of pre-workout that ended up causing some other problems because he didn't know what was in it. And, you know, those are examples of, of not knowing and putting yourself into a position. Again, if you are going through a specific selection or whatever else, taking these kind of supplements without not knowing can lead to adverse or even death situations. Because again, you're, you, you know, understanding when we talk about NO Explode and we talk about Jack 3D, these things spike your heart rate. And if you're already going to be doing something that spikes your heart rate that much, and you just add these on top of it, you've now just just ruined yourself in general, right? So again, it's kind of one of those things where it's, you know, especially when we're talking about supplement regulations and I, me for one is like, I've been really lucky in terms of being around individuals who've taught and helped me understand supplements, right? Like, hey, you need to read your, your supplement guidelines and look it up online and do these things because if not, you can get in trouble or whatever else because certain things matter to me most. And I feel like those who do pop or whoever have problems with these supplement regulations, it's kind of a, a lack of, of awareness or, or ignorance in, in their part, you know, and it kind of sucks because the information is there and it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, cool. Like here's these, here's the information here. It's in black and white and you just got to read it. The big thing I think is to, when it comes overall to different supplements from, is it gotta be a company you trust read the label. If there's something in the ingredients list that says proprietary blend and it's not telling you what's in it, that should be a red flag and you should dig a little deeper. That's a main thing. And we, we talked about this before, I believe on an episode, but I want to bring it back up 
things like pre-workout, you have to be careful. Why would you take pre-workout before you're doing cardio or something that's already increasing your heart rate? So just be mindful of the application so that you're not putting yourself at risk. I, I, in my mind, yeah. I think pre-workout should be uh, used when your heart rate is going to stay below a certain level. I just feel like it's dangerous to mix. Um, and I feel like you had brought that up before. So I think we should just like hammer that home to be, be yeah. responsible when you're using these different products that are meant to somehow enhance your training and performance doesn't mean that you should be using them all the time. So be mindful of what they're really meant to do and what they should be used for. Yeah. 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 I have to agree with that for sure. So what are these claims, Brooke, that everyone, you know, supplements, you know, say they do and, and, and everything else? Because, like, that's kind of one of those things, right? Everyone nowadays is looking at this whole, what is science saying and how is, and then from there I can take with it and run with it. And, and that's something that kind of one of those things is like, yeah, what is science saying and what is the research behind all these products? Yeah. So let's go ahead and start with caffeine. I feel like that's a good one to start with. And maybe a lot of people don't realize uh, that that's actually a supplement. So the big claim with caffeine, there's a lot of claims, but when it comes to performance, it's that caffeine may extend your performance, especially for endurance athletes. That's the, that's the main claim. If you've got caffeine, you can go longer, which is also why pre-workout has become a big thing. Uh, but again, like we just touched on, you want to make sure you're getting the right dosage of caffeine or pre-workout if you are especially an endurance athlete and your heart rate's getting up and you got to be smart about that. And we'll talk numbers of what that looks like for you in a second. So the big thing with caffeine is that it's per you're perceiving that you're doing less work than you really are. It kind of is more of a mental trick than doing anything physically to your body. So that's the route when they do research of what they're looking at when it says it may send your performance. So they found that in some studies, you can actually maximize the force of your muscle contractions. And then you can also feel like you're, this is like a tongue twister in my head that I can't get out. And then you're also feeling like you're not doing as much work. So those are benefits that might help you enhance your performance. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things with caffeine, especially right now we're going to school for, you know, we, I say it all the time in, in school for sports psychology and it, we talk about the arousal state or that flow state. And one thing that I have really noticed with caffeine, especially during the day coming from the ultra endurance world, um, we can get into some stories here in a minute with caffeine and knowing some athletes who have used caffeine and have had the same effects and have to have to either work out, work through them in, in the race or you stop and quit. It's, it's whatever you, your choice is. But one thing that I have realized is, is caffeine can be a very beneficial supplement to you that can give you, give you a lot of, a lot of bang for your buck, right? Like you don't have to take a lot of it to go ahead and see the benefits from it. But unfortunately we do take a little bit more than we should. And you know, one thing that I do like that you talked about there is, is kind of one of those things where the, the caffeine just helps activate certain receptors into the brain, stimulating the brain so that, you know, we're able to create that arousal and that flow state that we need to go ahead and help us focus. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people take for granted. They're like, oh my God, I wake up in the morning, I feel like crap, I need to have energy. And it's like, well, you're going to put that much caffeine at that time and moment. It's like, are you going to start working or are you just going to go ahead and just live your day? Because then now we talk about like rushing things and 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 that that 
mind of yours. And I know for me, I know when if I if I drink coffee and I'm not doing no work or doing some kind of training session or whatever else, and I'm just kind of just hanging out, heart rate spikes <laughs> and I can't focus because I'm like all over the place. I have to make sure I'm focusing. Maybe that's just my ADD, but that's something that I've realized with caffeine as a whole, you know, and that kind of goes into this, you know, Brooke, for you is the absorption of it, you know, is it easier and better to take on empty stomach or food first than caffeine, right? Because that's kind of the idea behind this. That's kind of one of those things where a question comes up a lot to me. I know for me at least, hey, do I take caffeine this way or whatever else? And I've seen it work where I put in food first and caffeine, you know? To be honest, when I was reading a lot of these studies, that was not part of what was necessarily discussed. I don't think, and most of these studies, it wasn't done on this completely empty fasted state stomach. So I'm not sure about that. There is something to be said though. I want to mention there is a gene and you can be either a fast metabolizer of caffeine or slow metabolizer and you're going to know which one or the other. So that also will decide, do you want to take caffeine on an empty stomach if you're a fast metabolizer and it's running through you, it might cause GI upset. That's why if you do want to use caffeine just in your everyday life or to help enhance your performance, possibly I would be doing these things and tweaking and practicing while you are preparing for a race or just in your daily life. Then when it's go time and let's say you're, you've got a big race that's you need to perform and compete, then you've kind of, you kind of know what works for you and what doesn't. So this will be different for everyone. And there's definitely a, a downside I think to caffeine, that's worth mentioning because yes, according to these sports nutrition studies, it may actually extend performance and help in these certain ways, but caffeine also inhibits the absorption of micronutrients. So that's something to keep in mind that it's actually going to inhibit the absorption of iron, calcium, and thiamine. So if you take a multivitamin or you're trying to eat this very nutrient dense meal and you're having a cup of coffee or caffeine with it, it might actually be inhibiting the way your body is utilizing nutrients. So that's a possible downside and something to keep in mind as to where you put caffeine. And um, if you really want that to be a part of your routine, where where's an appropriate time so that you're maximizing all of these things at play here. Other things in large amounts, caffeine is a diuretic. (laughs) So, If, and one of the biggest indicator, one of the biggest things with performance, I think people overlook is hydration. It is super important that you are hydrated. And if you're dehydrated, you will absolutely, George takes a giant gulp of water. You, you will absolutely see a drop in performance if you're dehydrated. So that's something to keep in mind that you need to have a balance so that you're not going to actually hurt yourself more than that. Yeah. I want to go back here real quick and talk about, you know, the absorption of thiamine and minerals, including iron, calcium, and, and all those things. Because one thing that I I enjoy doing, especially, and I, I enjoy fixing athletes, right? Athletes usually are, most athletes nowadays are broken in some way, shape, or form in terms of physical, psychological, or, are you know, just in general can't, don't know how to take care of themselves in terms of like what they need to do. Because there's been so much information being thrown out to people that, there's no longer what is right and what is wrong. That's literally the truth, right? And that's something we've seen with supplements as well. And one thing I wanna use caffeine and talk about coffee actually is big on because that's something that everyone does. I talked about just recently is like the first thing we do when we wake up is coffee right away. And then all of a sudden, you probably don't eat the rest of the day or eat for another four or five hours and then you go ahead and eat now and you're like, oh, I'm eating this healthy diet, a healthy whatever else. But 
it's in it's it's in the research has been shown that hey taking caffeine or coffee prior to eating slows down the absorption of micronutrients that right there gives me the exact same reason why i tell everyone food before caffeine or coffee always food before caffeine and coffee because now you actually wake the system up you keep your body in a very low parasympathetic state instead of causing the sympathetic response from just putting caffeine in right especially if when most people just wake up right away one thing that i've also i you know i tell a lot of athletes is like hey if you are trying to create this new routine in your life and trying to lose weight move your and, and it's this simple and it's it's and it, I, I feel like it's a, it's a common sense thing especially when we understand things like this and i've learned this from brooke brooks told me this is the reason why i'm able to pass it on is put food in first then caffeine because it helps reset the metabolism right especially if you are a fast metabolizer in caffeine guess what happens your sympathetic response is faster than before now you're not gonna eat within whatever else compared to one of someone who is slow who can eat right away. So that's something to take into account there, right? Is like in everyday lifestyle, looking for quality of life, food before caffeine always, especially in yeah. performance realm, right? Food before caffeine. Well, a big thing. So when we wake up first thing in the morning, we see this spike in cortisol. If we're going straight in and we're drinking coffee, all we're doing is increasing that even more. When you wake up, you should have a big old glass of water. Then you should feed yourself a meal that's appropriate for you, your activity level, what's going on. Are you training after that? Are you not training? The food comes. And yeah. then you should maybe around 10, if you want that cup of coffee or two, that would be a good time. After you've done these other things and your cortisol levels have kind of come down um, and then you're not just like amplifying uh, this stressor. So yeah. I think that... There's absolutely a place for caffeine in the diet. I am a coffee lover. I, you know, so just be mindful. So then if you're drinking your caffeine, let's say around 10, you have a cup of coffee, you drink coffee till like 11 or so maybe, then you have lunch later on the line. Lunch after you've had time to have your caffeine is when I would take a multivitamin if that's something that's a part of your uh -huh. routine so that you can ha make sure you're actually absorbing as much micronutrients as you're actually going to absorb from vitamins and minerals, which is totally debatable as well, but set yourself up for success there. And then, you know, another negative is caffeine will mess with your circadian rhythm and your sleep cycles. So you need to cut caffeine off at an appropriate time to let the body down regulate and get ready for bed. That's, and that's something that, you know, I really believe that is huge, right? Like obviously a lot of people will drink coffee all the way up until 5, 6 p.m. I've, my mom can drink coffee all the way up to bed. And now as she's gotten older, she has trouble sleeping, right? And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you still kind of cheap. It's, it's so, it, it, it's funny, right? It's like a lot of people don't realize the long-term effects it can have on you down the road. And I like to, like, I look at that and it's like, well, my mom used to eat, drink coffee all the way up until eight, nine o'clock at night my whole childhood, all the way up until I left the house. That was a normal thing. That was 18 years, right? 17 years. It's like, now we look and I'm getting, you know, we look 10, 11 years later from watching that and she has trouble sleeping at night, right? Can it be because of the caffeine? Can it be? No, but that is just something that we can talk about right here and how it messes up the circadian rhythm. And if you do certain things, this can have long-term, you know, effects and, and everything else like that. And one thing that, you know, I really enjoy that, you know, we're talking about here is, we have the benefits, we have the non-benefits of it, and how can it help? 
well, how can it help trained athletes and untrained athletes as well now, right? Because that's the question between individuals who come onto our programming who utilize caffeine and, hey, how can we use it for a good way? And then athletes who are really trained in our programming and can use caffeine and they see the different benefits from that as well. That's kind of something that, yeah. you know, is so, a, is, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah, the evidence shows that caffeine, if you're using it for a power booster for a workout, is actually going to be more beneficial if someone's well-conditioned. If you're okay. someone who's coming in untrained and you're just trying to get the ropes, it's not necessary to have supplements and like a caffeine pre-workout or something. That's not really necessary. I would focus on getting the movement patterns down, working on the training, and then you can come in and the, use these subs, uh, supplements to enhance your performance in some way. You know, that's kind yeah. of like we have a tendency to this is an American culture thing. Probably we want to fit the role. Uh, I'll use myself as an example here. Uh, golfed for the first time, something new, never picked up a club, but I sure shit had an awesome golf outfit. I looked the part. I had everything I thought I needed. Really none of that matters. I need to get in there. I need to figure out what the hell I'm doing and, and practice the movement. It's, you know, so don't feel like you have to use these supplements and you have to look the part or you have to buy everything on the 10 big best gym things to own before you start doing the movement. So caffeine is going to work a little better that. if you're trained. I, I'm, I can't lie. I do the same thing too. I'll do it sometimes. Like I'll fall into a place of like seeing someone like I idolize or, or whatever else. Cause we all, I find people who idolize us and motivate us. It happens. It changes all the time for all of us. And you, you say it there, but it's like, oh, what is the cool shoes or what are the cool shirts he's wearing? And like, oh, if it's helping him, it must help me out. And all of a sudden you realize you're like, no, not at all. Yeah, like this, that's exactly how it is with supplements. These pair of socks are not making me run faster at all. <laughs> not making me lift the fucking barbell any better. These knee sleeves. No, 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 not no, at all. not doing it. So that's I great. like that you brought that up because that's actually a really funny thing. It's true, right? That's the American society or culture that we do see there. But now, so it's kind of one of those things now. It's like we talked about, you know, caffeine as a whole and, and what are we looking at? But what is the recommend dosage for someone who is either well-trained or not well-trained? Okay. Um, yes. A, the, and this is a range, which I feel like people want a specific answer. But this is a range because people metabolize it differently and every, every human has got different requirements and what they can tolerate. Maybe you have a tolerance to caffeine. Maybe you don't. But the most effective dosage appears to be between three and six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So another thing, though, to keep in mind, according to the Mayo Clinic, the safe limit for caffeine for an adult is 400 milligrams a day, which is really uh -huh. only four, four cups of brewed coffee, pretty much. Or it's like 10 sodas. Please don't, please don't get all your caffeine through 10 sodas. I will be extremely but, upset. But, but hold on, wait a minute. Let's be real here. Don't do that. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to put it in perspective. It's like four cups <laughs> of coffee or like 10 Cokes or something. I'm pretty sure that was the comparison. Cause I was and trying to put it in perspective. Is this off of a certain body weight at all? Or is this, this is, is just, this just like safe? the recommended safe dosage for an adult. And this is according okay. to the Mayo clinic because you do see other recs, but you know, I, I like, I trust the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic. There's certain, you know, people I me would too, trust. Me too, me too. So, so that, I'm sorry, Brooke. So I, let's I use you as a, you. let's use you as a example. Uh, well, cause you this don't is, have to give me your real body weight. What's, what is your, in pounds, like what's your body weight? Uh, I weigh 190. Okay. So if Lean, you're 190, machine. Uh -huh. if you're 190 pounds to get kilograms, we're going to divide by 2.2. So Correct. you're, 
86.4 kilos. So 86.4 yeah. kilos, um, let's say times three, because we're going to start you on the low end of caffeine. That would put your recommended dose of caffeine around 259. <laughs> All right. You ready for a story, ladies and gentlemen, because it's about <laughs> to get real. <laughs> so there's my recommendation, recommended uh, dosage, right? 256 milligrams of caffeine in one day. That's 24 hour period. So let me go ahead and take you back to young Dun Dumb and George thought he was hot shit running My the Kodiak 100 last year. My favorite Because <laughs> I'm, I'm that guy when I'm, when I'm out doing and whatever else. But uh, Kodiak 100 last August, I decided to go ahead and put in 300 milligrams of caffeine within an hour. While I was about mile 63, 64 in, that's about 17 hours into a race. Now, was that my fault that I that I that I mean to do that? I'm gonna take my I'm gonna take the blame for it and I'm gonna take accountability for it because I should have been paying attention. Came into my aid station at 100 k in, and I was like, hey, I need to refill. Put caffeine on one side on ca and then caffeine gels on one side, ca non caffeine on the left side. And my my caffeine protocol for running this ultra marathon was once the sun starts to set, you start putting in anywhere between 50 to 100 milligrams of caffeine an hour. To keep me awake. And it, it, it's a legit thing. It, it, you need it to help keep you awake throughout right. the night. It's, 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 it's just needed. You're moving for 12 hours going into the nighttime. You still have another 12 or however many hours to go. It's something you do. Again, is ultra run marathoning running all the time as healthy as everyone makes it seem? Probably not taking that much ca ca caffeine in a 24-hour period. Probably isn't either. And we're just hitting that. So this is now about 3.30 in the morning. I've been taking caffeine since 9 p.m. Since 9 p.m., I've taken about 50 milligrams every hour. I've exceeded wow. my limit already of, of, of how much oh, yeah. caffeine. Three, I come in, um, and I actually had to switch to green tea capsules um, about four hours in because my like I just couldn't handle it no more. My stomach started bothering me, so I went to green tea instead, and it actually worked out better. The acidity, the I guess the acidity inside the green tea was better than what I was using, so they didn't mess my stomach up as much. That makes sense? I hope it does. I don't know. I don't know the exact mechanism, but whatever works for you, right? Like it all matters yeah. how your gut's going to tolerate stuff. Yeah. So I ended up coming into the aid station. I'm a hundred K in and I ended up taking a, a, a cup of cup of coffee. And this was actually used. I was actually using that, that frontier coffee company from Nate Dressel. Um, and I was enjoying his coffee and I put down a fucking full cup, a good, I think it was like a six, like a eight ounce cup of coffee. I put down 3am in the morning. I was like, all right, cool. I'm feeling good. Well, <laughs> 30 minutes after I left the aid station, I was like, oh, I need to put another caffeine gel in because I was eating, my nitrition plan was eating every 30, 45 minutes, 100, 150 calories uh, of carbohydrates. So I went to grab my gel. I grabbed a caffeine one, ate that. Oh, no. Didn't by realize accident? it. Yeah, by accident. Didn't realize it. Because remember, I'm moving now and I'm just like, all right, cool. Yeah. I took the gel out of my right side that were, wasn't supposed to have caffeine in. Move, kept moving again. 30 minutes later, I was like, oh, I need to eat again. So I grabbed my caffeine one because the last time, come to realize, I literally had put caffeine at the aid station, caffeine 30 minutes at after I left, and then caffeine caffeine uh, gel in then. Oh, let's no. Just, let's, just say if, let's just say I found out that I am a fast metabolizer of caffeine because within 30 minutes, I was on the side of the trail, and that's all I got to say. I've had people pass me at four or five o'clock in the morning and I'm blowing my brains out because of this diuretic <laughs> that I decided to do. So I had taken 300 milligrams of in one sitting within an hour. Plus I probably taken another f maybe 200 count yeah. um, already before that. And plus the green tea pills that I was taking. 
I had already maybe breached. Seven. Yeah. Oh, it was. And guess what might happen to my performance after that? I had this huge low, like well, then that the biggest low you, you could have. Oh, I was dehydrated. dehydrated I lost calories, like everything. And I was in this huge low for about five to six hours. Um, and that when I finally came out of it, I was like, I don't need any more caffeine. I don't want no caffeine at all. I just want to finish this. Yeah. Um, and luckily my last race, I was able to dial in my caffeine game and be smart with it. But um, yeah, that's, that's just a story of like the extreme side of what caffeine can do to you at 65 miles into a race. And this is what you have to deal with. It's kind of shitty, right? Like, yeah, literally for you. <laughs> so yeah. So my, my regular, my regulated amount of caffeine should be 256 grams of caffeine in 24 hours, not 400 or 500 in, in 24 yeah, hours exactly. and 300 of that in one sitting. So if someone wants to calculate it, to recap caffeine before we move on to another supplement, the most effective dose appears to be between three and six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And if you don't know how to do kilogram per body weight, take pounds, divide it by 2.2, and you'll know how much you weigh in kilograms. So you can figure that out for yourself. But caffeine technically does meet the claims. When it comes to endurance athletes, it appears to extend performance. And when it comes to strength and power, it also seems to increase performance through the different mechanisms of perceived work effort and other things that we talked about. So caffeine does meet the claims. Just remember there's negatives involved if this is something you choose to use to enhance your performance. And real quick, and the last thing on caffeine before we move on to the next thing, it, and here's a rule of thumb I've actually moved to, is if the higher the intensity, the lower the caffeine intake I have. The, the lower the activity, the the little bit more moderate caffeine i will st- i'll stay within that you know within a range that i can work with now i have a better range of 3 to 6 milligrams i can play with that now um if i'm extending for long periods of time i've now found that taking you know moderate doses of caffeine in extended periods of time over 2 to 3 hours if i'm moving for you know 15 hours plus has been a big beneficial for me if i'm moving just for 12 hours i can put in you know 50 milligrams of caffeine every five hours and i'll be perfectly okay um so that's kind of an idea there guys you know when you look in if you're looking to go into the gym and you're doing strength and power you can take a little bit more caffeine why because it is going to inhibit um well not inhibit it's going to go ahead and, and benefit you in a good way to go ahead and give you the focus that you need for your strength and power performance that's that's one of those things there so very this good. next supplement, what is this next supplement we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about carbohydrate and protein sport drinks. So mm. companies like Gatorade make, you know, like the shake core power might be one. I, I forget all the name brands, but the shakes muscle that you protein buy, shakes right, or the, monster protein shakes, the ones you buy pre-made that have supposedly all the good stuff in them. So The big claim is that they can help with muscle building and energy. Hmm. So Hmm. big thing to keep in mind here. They actually meet that claim because they can help protein and carbohydrates do obviously play a role in triggering the release of insulin and growth hormone, increasing your energy levels. You've got fuel, you're helping to repair the muscle, but exercise is the initial stimulus. So you can't just be chugging down these drinks and think you're going to be a well-toned muscle machine. You have to put the work into the gym. The exercise is actually this initial stimulus. You got to do the work, technically be ripping apart that muscle to then be rebuilt. So that's the big thing there. So that kind of leads me to this, Brooke, because, you know, 
we have different companies talk about intra-carbohydrate drinks and we talk about protein supplement drinks. You know, and, and I like the fact that you just said that protein and carbohydrates trigger a release in insulin and growth hormone, right? So this kind of goes me into the next topic. Is like, so you said it before, right? When we talk about taking these supplements, right? They don't give you added benefit to your physiological responses or how your body or your endocrine system or your, your psychological responses. You have to do everything else besides that to help just aid into it. Yeah. Now, when we look at these carbohydrate drinks and these protein sports drinks, like I'm going to use muscle or monster muscle protein. Have you heard of that? The monster no. muscle protein drinks. They're, they're, they're just, it's a monster company, the energy company, the energy sports drink company. Oh, they make company. protein shakes now? They make protein shakes. Yeah, they've always had, made, they've been making protein shakes for a I while. That. And that's kind of one of those things where it's like, is that really good for you? Are we still getting the the nutrients out of that drink? with it added in with the taurine and all the, the caffeine mixed into it. And it just, you know, is it really being absorbed or are we just wasting the money on that? Beautiful point. I'm glad you brought this up. Getting this nutrition out of a bottle or a can is still not going to be as good as if you were getting it from quality food. So if you have the option to sit down and have a meal after of carbohydrates and protein or assemble some kind of snack or shake on your own where you can control the ingredients that go into it, then, okay, fine, reach for a drink if you can't do that. But that should be your go-to. Your go-to should be, I'm going to have food first. These kind of supplement drinks should really only be, I'm in a bind, I got to go, I can't have a meal, I can't, I don't have a blender to make my own shake. And then in a lot of these drinks, like you mentioned, they add a bunch of crap that either you don't need, might have a negative effect, and it's like, why put the rest of that into your body? So I would just be wary of that. Also, read the labels because some of them have a lot of sugar. You don't really, you don't really need all that. You can have, yeah. uh, make your own shake and you can have things like some fruit in there and all this other good stuff. And it's not going to be corn syrup or glue, straight up glucose syrup is in a lot of these. So I do think that the type of nutrition matters and food should be first. Yeah, especially with those, because that's something like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking a protein shake an hour before your training session, but it's kind of one of those things is where it's like, hey, look, it's I'm not trying to stand on a pedal store or say anything, but it's like, hey, how about you just make better choices and be aware of the type of quality of protein shake you're doing so that you are going to continue moving forward because you put so much time and effort into a training program, living a certain lifestyle, and then you just want to settle for a fucking $5 protein shake at a, at a 7-Eleven or a, or what are the East Coast? Um, uh, we have 7-Elevens out here. <laughs> okay, cool. 7-Elevens are worldwide. Perfect. Um, you know, or you can go ahead and make that extra time to where it's like, cool, I have, I have some protein powder with some milk here. I'm going to get my fats, my carbohydrates, and my protein an hour in before my session. Boom, take that down. Now I'm ready to rock and roll for my training session. The cool thing about that now, it sets you up to make another shake at that time and moment for your intro training shake if you wanted one for carbohydrates during your training session. So it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's it, it kind of just stack, stacks on top of each other and it's kind of the patterns that you need to make and being aware of those things. And it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, you put so much time and effort in doing everything else, then you go and spend money on something super cheap or think that's the way to do it. And it's kind of like, well... It's, it's easy to go ahead and, and, and make those things happen. You just got to make it a priority is kind of one of those things that I do see from that. Yeah. The next, I would definitely, the next thing. Well, I would definitely I'm sorry, um, make, you know, it's more cost effective also to make your own carbohydrate protein snack or drink than it is to just go out and buy something. You're paying for the yeah. convenience a lot of the time. So not only is it better for you, 
and better nutrition, but it's going to cost less. Um, but it does meet the claims. So having carbohydrates and protein post-workout is important. Okay. My next, so we're moving on next. Are we going to stay on carbohydrates? Are you ready to move on? Cause I we're feel ready. like we, we're ready to move on. That was an easy one. That was the next one we're going to talk about real quick is this Brooke. Are we doing proteins or you want to talk pro, proteins real quick? I just want to cover proteins real fast because that's yeah. something that, you know, a lot of people get caught up on, right? You said it yourself, right? You're like, Hey, you shouldn't be eating a high fat or a high red meat diet that paired with inflammation with a food that's an inflame your gut because it does cause whatever else that brings me to this high quality fat free protein is that for after a training session more because again like i said i enjoy fats in my protein i really do enjoy it, but I, it's it's scattered it's maybe once a week i do red meat and everything else is through fish and chicken so the big thing i like about protein is it's protein supplements are a really convenient way to consume protein and hopefully you've chosen a high quality supplement from a company you trust so this is this can be a pretty convenient way to get protein when you don't have time to sit down and have it from a food source. So that's something that's really nice about protein supplements. And um, protein supplements do meet the claims that they can help aid in the process, but that really has to do with the fact that protein helps to aid in the process of building muscle and the role that it plays in the body. Everything. Protein is the foundation of almost everything. So that's important. A lot of people have this misconception that they need a lot more than they actually need. And so that's something to keep in mind that you you're Probably if you're following bro science trends, eating way too much protein. So you don't need as much as you think, but I do like protein supplements and the way that it's a convenient way to consume protein for a lot of people. Cool. And, and that's too, again, like I, you know, read, read the information on the protein supplements because of the fact that the quality of protein they're using or where they're getting it from, it does, it does matter, right? We keep talking about the quality of what you're doing is going to matter most long-term instead of the quantity of it. Um, now we're going to talk about one that, uh, I feel that everyone has an opinion on. Um, and like that is, is, people are going to get a little butt hurt when we go over this one. Yeah. It's one of those things. And, and it's one of those things where creatine is going to have its own opinions for everyone, because right now I'm going to say this and I know it's, I'm going to steal your thunder, but 4,000 studies. Yep. It's the 4, most researched, studies. it's the most researched supplement. So, so that's this brings cool. me to this. It is really cool, right? Because over four thousand supplements, over that many over that many 4, studies, studies, there has yeah. to be there has to be some kind of good that's come out of that, right? There has to be some kind of like, hey, this is the correct way. Over these four thousand studies, this is the trend we saw. Yeah. So there's been a lot, a lot of studies, obviously, and about seventy percent of them are reporting a positive effect. It is that the initial thing is there has to be exercise as the initial stimulus. That rule still applies. You can't just take creatine and sit on your sofa and have a positive effect. Please. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. So basically, when you examine and review all these studies at once, there's some overarching common themes. And the big one is that paired with training, and usually these studies range from four to 12 weeks of training. I also want to point out that's a pretty short-term study. There's not as many long-term studies when it comes to supplements and human performance, which is a huge flaw in the industry. And that has to do with funding and maybe things will change. Maybe not. Anyway, so most studies report about one kilogram to 2.3 kilograms of body mass gain 
during the four to six weeks. A lot of the studies were done on males and it appears that the results are better for males than for females. But mm. creatine does meet the claim that it can uh, improve performance. But that all has to do with, are you training hard? It's not just going to magically increase your muscle mass. But technically, according to the numbers, creatine is the most effective nutritional supplement as far as being researched to meet its claims. Okay. So that's the thing. So <laughs> I really like the fact that we, we have this number of how many studies are out there. Because that is a lot of studies for one specific supplement. And as we well, keep going back to... Well, to put it in perspective, the, the amount of caffeine... Caffeine in performance studies, way lower. Um, specifically mm -hmm. in this, I was looking at a 2010 study that was a, re a review, which had 29 studies. So wow. there's a lot less when it comes to these reviews versus creatine when you can do reviews with a ton of different studies and have a lot more to compare and look at. So when we talk, because, okay, so, but isn't there different types of creatine though also? Isn't there monohydrate? Isn't there... Um there's like a microhydrate or something like that. Uh, yeah, th there's definitely uh, different types in that sense. So, That's not so really the, the issue. Honestly, one, I think the monohydrate's usually cheaper. That has to do with it. Or like, yeah, I heard like there's some kind of acline, like something creatine or whatever else. I remember there was a time period where a bunch of people were pushing different types of carb uh, creatines um, and saying that this is the best one because it absorbs better and this is how your body reacts to it and you don't have to worry about such a, a, a different type of loading phase and you don't have to cycle off of it as much. There's Again, it goes back to just, you know, everyone has their opinion on this and everything else like that, but it's like when I go and say research, right, because I like to look at the research as evidence. Right. All it is is anecdotal evidence from other people utilizing these tests and granted, yeah, some of these tests might not have some of the best variables or one might be an experimental type method research. You know, these, the, the research methods are different and that's kind of one of those things where you have to take into account of understanding like, Hey, like what is the evidence presenting? And if the evidence presenting this, then why not be supported by it? That's we know a good that, point. Like you can't, you, know you can't always take the conclusions of every study at face value. You need to look at what was the sample size? What was the procedure? Are there things that we're missing? Um, so that, you know, there's definitely limitations to almost every study, especially when it comes to nutrition, because it's hard to control everything a human does and puts in their body. So it yeah. is, it is something to be mindful of. I like that you brought that up. Yeah. I, it, well, it's, it's, it, and the reason why I say that Brooke real quick is because of the fact that of understanding the different, you know, methods and research that there there is multiple ways to do this um and and again anybody can say something but if there's over four if there's four thousand studies right there's 70 percent positive effects what is the evidence presenting within those four thousand studies because then that's what we go with and yeah. that's what we're doing right now right that's kind of what it is and that's why i asked you is like well, what does it matter what type of creatine it is because we know there's different types of those there so so the big thing is a lot of the research is done on creatine monohydrate. There's several different forms of the way people present creatine. A lot of it has to do with manufacturers are trying to set their product apart. It's a, it's a marketing thing. They want it to stand out. There's not a lot of, they might make claims about how it's absorbed and the reliability of the product. But when it comes down to it, the majority of research is done on creatine monohydrate. Cool. So that's something to keep in mind. Also, a point I want to bring up, the body makes creatine. Your, your mm -hmm. liver and your kidneys do create creatine, usually about two grams per day. You can get it from food. You don't need to take a creatine supplement necessarily. 
But again, though, if you want to increase your creatine supplement intake, do it through natural food first, and then after that, add it on with this. If that is your specific goal, right? Because that's the end of the day. Is like, I don't need to. I don't want to take creatine. I'm not trying to like bulk up or anything else like that. That's exactly what I look at. Is like, if I want to take creatine, it increases body mass. Well, I know that if I increase body mass, what ends up increasing strength. That's the truth. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, and we obviously can't dive into the mechanisms to everyone, but I think it's important for creatine, especially since a lot of people probably know what it is and have used it at some point in their life. The result might be an increase in muscle mass because that's what everyone's interested in, but the way it works is different. So it's taking this creatine monohydrate and it's turning into creatine phosphate and that's an energy source Yep. so that you can use that during strength training and it's these short, fast bursts of energy. So then it's allowing you to change your work capacity. <laughs> then you build muscle. So it's all these other things that get to this result. Look at you being talking about energy system protocols right now. You know? That's all that's literally, look at you hundred <laughs> percent, right? That's, and, and again, it's just the repeatable. It's just how it's the repeatable power output that you can put out. The, if you can maintain a certain, sustainable power output repeatable over time and time again it does create adaptation it does end up helping you get stronger all the creatine does for us now is it helps supplement that we're losing to help you recover quicker so you can do it in layman's terms for those who uh, don't know creatine phosphate or <laughs> anything of the the creme cycle um, yeah but and so going- so i do want to touch on specific numbers for people who are interested as far as dosing. And you brought up the cycling. So what's really common is a lot of people will cycle creatine. And the most common thing people will do also is a loading phase. So they're loading usually with three to five grams of creatine. Um, If you're a larger athlete, it can be even as much as 10 grams a day. So you load with this dose, usually taking creatine in four or five times a day over a whole week and then you'll like lower your dose to be a, a normal, whatever the bottle like supplement says. And the, this idea is it does take time to build up in the system. You can also just take a normal dose for yourself and it'll eventually build up. It just might not be as quick. So there's different approaches yeah. to how this works. But based on the latest scientific research, the thing to keep in mind is that your dose should be based on your body weight. And it's about 0.3 grams per kilogram of body weight. Oh, wow. That's really what the dosage should be. So if you're interested in creatine and you want to know what's proven, that's what the research is pointing to now. Huh. All right. So it's not as much as you would think. So it probably says on the bottle, like, take two scoops and blah, blah. And it's like, "Eh, you're probably wasting money. So I would do the math. So 0.3 kilogram, 0.3 grams of creatine per kilogram of body weight. That appears to be the sweet spot. So for my body weight, let's just use me so people can have a, a, a an idea of like, okay, cool, 190-pound athlete is getting this much into a system. Okay, so you are about 86 kilos. Correct, Amundo. So your ideal loading phase should be 25 grams of creatine. So it's actually higher. So, so you day? would want to take in 25 grams of creatine over the period of seven days. So okay. So I would like break that up and I would do five grams of creatine every couple hours, five times a day. So you would do that for a whole week and that would be your ideal loading phase. And then you're going to drop it down and you're going to maintain those elevated stores. You just don't need to do that all the time. So then you would drop it down to something in between two to three grams per day. And then you're going to have 
you're going to do that for three to four weeks and then you would cycle off and repeat. Cool. I feel like that's Sweet. a lot. The creatine is a complicated one. It doesn't have to be that complicated because you also could ignore the entire loading phase math and just take two or three grams of creatine a day and see the same effects over because, time. Because, yeah, because most people are not 190 pounds. Everyone's either usually underneath that. And if you are a little bit bigger than that, it's kind of easy to look at. Like, okay, cool. Even with three grams of a day, I'm still hitting my loading phase no matter yeah, what. Yeah. All that's going to happen is it's going to take longer for everything to get saturated and re your, re reach your goal. So if it's also kind of a money thing. So if you're just patient and you take two to three grams of creatine a day, you don't need to do a crazy loading phase. Nice. Cool. I got some ideas for us after this show so we can talk about Brooke because uh, <laughs> I think it'd be really cool to, to get some stuff going. But uh, yeah. So next thing we're going into is going to be the carbohydrate and carbohydrate electrolyte solutions. I really, yeah. I really enjoy this supplement. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, because I feel like it saved me more than one time in a situation where I needed calories, I needed carbohydrates. I'm not going to lie to you. So I really would love to hear, you know, you know, obviously it says there's no evidence that electrolyte improves electrolytes, improve exercise performance for normal workouts recommended for endurance events longer than three hours, which now makes sense why I enjoy taking it. But you know, I got made fun of one time when I was doing a, uh, I was doing a 60 minute bike ride. And I was taking a, uh, I was taking in some endure and it was more of me looking at, like I was planning ahead instead of planning at that time and moment. So I was taking this, taking in 25 grams of carbohydrate from endure during the 60 minute bike ride was because I was planning on doing something in the afternoon. I think it was like going to be like a longer run or something like that. And I was just planning ahead. So I had the calories to keep me fueled in the beginning because at that time moment, I had just gotten done with the race and I had just, all I knew was like, hey, you feel for the future, you feel for the activity coming forward. Um, so it kind of goes into like, all right, sweet. It obviously didn't make no, it didn't, didn't make no improvement on my performance during that time period at all, whatsoever. But it can three to four hours down the road and even further than that, right? That's sign. That's something I really like to say is like during ultra events, if you're racing for more than three plus hours and you're gonna be racing for six, seven, eight hours, or you're out, backpacking for 12 hours for that day, taking those kinds of drinks down is going to aid in your performance into those later hours when you're not that hungry anymore, when you don't want to chew anything, when you don't want to do those things, those are now going to come in and benefit you. And that's kind of the where I wanted to take that and pass it off to you. So I want to start by saying that carbohydrate and carbohydrate electrolyte solutions actually do show benefit in with sport and performance. What you brought up is as far as electrolytes improving your performance by taking an extra that there's no evidence that that's going to be helpful. You do okay. need electrolytes when you, someone like you, you're an extremely salty sweater. Uh, one time, I remember one time you came back from a run and there's like these puddles of white salty stuff dried from where your sweat was. So someone like you does need electrolyte solution probably a lot sooner than the average person. So it really depends on individually your person. So let's say uh, for normal people, if you're doing an event less than three hours, you probably don't need extra electrolytes. For someone like you who's a salty sweater, a really quick way to find out if you're a person like that, wear a dark colored shirt, like a black shirt, go for a run, get really sweaty. Can you see the white dried salt? So that's one way to do it. So then you might be someone who needs electrolytes sooner, but there's no evidence that electrolytes are actually increasing your exercise performance. That's not really a thing, but carbohydrate and carbohydrate electrolyte solutions 
are beneficial for athletes competing in high intensity sports or think high intensity interval training for less than an hour or any event that's longer than an hour, you do need to put carbohydrates into the system. And that's why these drinks are one way and method to get carbs. However, if you are someone who is an athlete working out for long periods of time, especially more than two hours, you need different types of carbs. So I wouldn't drink all your carbohydrates. I would have a food source, maybe a gel, whatever your gut can tolerate, but you want to mix the different carb sources. I actually put together a guide about all this, how to treat intra-workout nutrition, especially if you're an endurance athlete. If you're someone on the Apex team, this is really important. You can email me at brooke at softleet.com, B-R-O-O-K-E at softleet.com, and I can send you that guide of how to approach intra-workout nutrition because it is proven to be beneficial. No, 100%. I, and, and honestly, like that's something that I... You know, talking about this, right? Because I, I like the fact you brought up the stress, t- uh, the stress test, the sweat test. Um, and I, I recently have just been digging a little bit more into this, just how our body reacts and, and depletes ourselves from this. And one thing I did notice that everyone actually doesn't sweat out salt. It's actually different for everyone. That is just the byproduct of whatever is left on your shirt. Like so minerals. the way you can. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. So you can actually go ahead and take that sample and get it tested and let you know what minerals you are expelling so you can get it you can go ahead and go ahead and rehydrate yourself with whatever those uh minerals were that you're missing and that's kind of one of those things where so my question here is electrolytes what does an electrolyte consume what is inside electrolyte is it just is that the name of multiple different minerals put together to name it electrolytes or is electrolytes just straight up hey this electrolytes and it's just a, a, a branch amino acid is that all it is that's kind of like i know that's a question i would like to know Yeah. So basically, electrolytes are a type. uh, Let me pull up a list here for you. Mm -hmm. Sodium is one. Okay. Yeah, I knew sodium is one. I know uh, magnesium is one. Potassium is one. Potassium. Sodium, potassium, calcium, chloride, magnesium, phosphate. So it's like different. It's so these different molecules. And the reason it got its name has to do with... It has to do with basically this electrically conducting solution. I don't know. That's the scientific side of it that really doesn't matter. But we can get electrolytes from fruit, from food and other sources. So if you're eating a really well-balanced diet, and this is another reason, um, you know, it's common to say, well, we need to limit sodiums. With athletes, a lot of the times you actually don't because you need these electrolytes. That's something to keep in mind. Huh. Okay. I, I brought that up because that's something that, you know, I've realized that, hey, like, I mean, I've I've done I've done a 50 mile race before only taking electrolytes and water because my stomach was fucked up um, and it saved me throughout the whole race. Like, that's just kind of one of those things where I was able to maintain electrolyte balance across the board to keep me moving forward. Um, I, I, I need I, I think I want to do that test to figure out like what it is I'm really sweating out because I do sweat a fuck ton. You do. And then it could help you dial things in further. And I I think it's fair to mention to everyone listening, you're a very extreme end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, So you are, you are really are an athlete. You're a long distance endurance athlete. These little tweaks could make a really big difference because you're a trained athlete for someone who's just, who's just getting started. You don't need to be bottling up your sweat and sending it to a lab. (laughs) Well, and that's funny. And that's the thing though, right? Is because, 
I've never really worried about my sweat for the longest time, especially when I was in the military or even when I was just a weightlifter or when I was whatever else. Like I still sweated this much, but I never had to worry about like how to replenish myself after that. And I'll use it for example, in Southern California, I went for a run two days ago. It was like an eight mile run. And I literally was soaked from head to toe. It looked like I had just gone out of the shower and clothes on. Like people just dropped water on me and I'm out running on these trails and people are looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with this kid? He is like... <laughs> soaked in sweat from head to toe so it was kind of one of those things where it's like yeah for me i'm on that extreme and i know some people don't sweat much but yeah so moving on to you know i I think this is something that a lot of people you know want to know is like common supplements that you know have a that do meet the claims but still are kind of questioned at times you know that's a that's a big thing we have a lot of those supplements out there actually well there's a lot there's a lot of supplements that it's Still really kind of unclear. They could possibly meet the claims. The two big ones I kind of want to highlight today that I think are really common in supplements are beta alanine and branch chain amino acids. Those could possibly meet the claims, but there's not enough evidence, in my opinion, to stamp a seal of approval that this is going to enhance your athletic performance. So what if I told you that when I take beta alanine, I start to itch really bad and then it makes me perform better? Because I want to go faster to get out of my system. So many people say that. So many people say that um, beta alanine makes you itchy. And maybe it's this, I think it's a placebo effect for a lot of people. It's like, oh, this pre-workout's working. The supplement's helping me. And placebo effect is a real thing. So I think Uh a lot of people enjoy it in products. I think that's why it's in a lot of products. But there's, it really, it might have the potential to improve your performance. uh, Especially a lot of the applications are in high intensity exercise. And then the other claim is that it can delay the onset of this neuromuscular fatigue. Again, it's a possibility. Not really enough research there. Well, also, too, I thought it helps buffer lactic acid. That's not one of the claims that I read about. And that might be one of the claims someone's making. But as far as that being Uh. a research claim that's legit, I don't think it meets that claim. Huh. Huh. And also, I mean, that might be that there's not enough evidence for that that's just to not be able to say things. like hey this is what it does that's the reason why i took beta alanine i was like i'm taking beta alanine to help buffer lactic acid so i can fucking do more wall balls and thrusters so i can beat the guy next to me <laughs> well i think it really the research just talks a lot about kind of this neuromuscular delaying neuromuscular fatigue i don't know the exact mechanisms so maybe yeah. that is a thing but I mean, the main thing is that there's not enough proof that it does that that's the biggest yeah. takeaway. But as far as huh. the exact mechanisms, I can't speak to that. So I'm pretty sure someone took neuromuscular fatigue and translated it into like physiological. Because the way I look at neuromuscular, I feel like that's more like the the way that the nerves work in the body, not the way the lactic acid build up in your leg is how your body flushes that out, you know? Yeah, I think it. what, it's, what they try to do in the research is show that it's increasing this muscle carnosine and that's kind of by way of how it's how it's making you be able to perform longer but i'm not sure about the other mechanisms cool yeah that's and that's the reason why i was asking yeah yeah yeah. that's that's why because like when i look at neuro i look at neuro as like okay neurological means like nerves and, and all that good stuff when i look at when I hear lactic acid, I start thinking more of a physiological response instead of a neurological response. Yeah. And I mean, and that's only where I'm coming from. And beta alanine is a naturally occurring non-essential amino acid. 
So, so it's found in your food. So if you're eating animal proteins, even it's in fish, pork, beef, chicken, all that, you, you're already getting beta alanine. It's already a part of your diet. So I guess my thing is, do you want to spend money on another supplement to possibly enhance? I don't know. I, I really do think this idea of food first, because pretty much, you know, things like creatine, beta alanine, all these amino acids that we try to pick apart and say you should supplement more of are all already in the food you eat. So that's something to keep in mind. Same thing with branch chain amino acids. All of this is already in your food. The branch chain amino acids are leucine, isoleucine, and valine for those who don't know. And that's what's going to be, right? Yeah. That's what's going to be in a BCA supplement. Uh, there definitely is some emerging research, but it's super limited on if BCAs can enhance performance. A lot of the research right now is trying to look into endurance events, but I think that, that we got to wait and see what kind of continues to emerge there. I do okay. think the biggest takeaway of everything should be that a lot of this is already found in food, food first before supplements. Yeah. Again, exercise food first before supplements. Boom. Well, and, and, and again, so and, and the next thing too, you know, and I, I really don't have much on branch amino acids. I know that I have it inside my Endure with me. I don't know the difference from not taking branch amino acids out of my Endure when I go ahead and take another type of, uh, you know, an endurance drink if I need to. Um, so I really, I really don't have much backing on that. I know some people like to enjoy taking it going into a training session because it helps rebuild their muscles because it's a, it's a branch amino acid and I guess it's considered a protein. Am I correct on that? Uh, amino acid, which is like the base of a protein. Okay, cool. So, so that's that's kind of again that goes back to the misconceptions in in the fitness world of what we look at when we look at branch amino acids or branch chain amino well, acids. And a lot of athletes report that they feel better mentally and physically when they take BCAs during exercise. Again, maybe that's all the placebo effect, right? Well, the You're thing like, is, I'm how taking do you... in this thing to help me recover, so I feel better. And there's something to be said for that. There are things that are a part of your routine that kind of make people feel on their game and if it's not hurting you and there's no you know bcas are safe for use then i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it if you're like well it may help me and i like it and i want to do it cool do it it's funny you bring that up to you because i just got done doing a last week i had to do like a, a paper on on placebo effects and claims along with uh what was it oh it was talking about how our perception to certain things give us a benefit uh, enhancement in whatever we're doing. Yeah. F- from a psychological to a physiological response. And, and 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 that's kind of one of those same things here. It's like, you know, branching you know, amino acids, like, hey, this is what it makes me feel like and this is what it does for me. But if I ask someone else and they, they say it's the opposite of that, there's no real way to test that is what I'm trying to get to. Because you're now asking them to do a skill. There is no, there's, can you do a test and be like, okay, cool, I'm going to have someone perform a 400 meter run sprint against this person. Well, now there's multiple variables that come into that. So I understand why it's really hard to kind of test and have really good claims in terms of branch chain amino acids because the uh, it's it comes down to it's pretty much relative in terms of who they tested on, right? Well, like yeah. that's kind of the way. That's a beautiful point. For scientific research to be considered quality, it needs to be a repeatable study a repeatable set of protocols and it's really hard in sports nutrition and nutrition in general to create this perfect environment and repeat these studies so that's why you end up having all this wishy-washy kind of it's like the he said she said of science 
because it's really hard to control all these different variables when it comes to increasing and enhancing performance. You know, I think I, I, that leads me to this because I'm pretty sure I'm almost done here, but I think we should do a show on research methods. We would nerd out over that. You, I'm down. <laughs> Whether or not the podcast listeners would, I don't know. We should find, I, I think that it would be cool to find some researchers to yeah. bring on to talk about the research they're doing and what goes into that because I think it would be cool to highlight really what it, when I sit here and I say there's 4,000 studies done on creatine, over 4,000. What does that really mean? What goes into yeah. it? How is scientific research done? So I think that's a great follow-up show. Yeah, I think so. If So listeners, if you know anybody that are researchers or anything else like that, please reach out to us. We would love to get them on the show so we can uh, hammer this down because I really do believe that you know creating this way of thinking, of looking, at, re looking at, at research, there's multiple different methods. And I think if you have a better understanding of those methods, you can make better, aware, better choices in what you want to believe and not believe from your own experiences and, 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 and what you're doing. Because um, yeah. it's really helped myself out and it's obviously helped Brooke out also, you know, and it's something that not very many people talk about. Yeah, it's the basis of our profession. We might get on social media and say catchy things to get people's attention. But at the end of the day, there's a lot more that goes into it and how we came to these conclusions. And I do think that's really important just to highlight. That's the basis of our profession as a nutrition expert, as a physical fitness and now budding sports psychology expert. Like these are important parts of what we do. And um, as always, please reach out if you have questions, comments, concerns. Uh, we really want to make sure that we're connecting with everyone and making sure we're all learning and sharing and growing. Awesome. Hey guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this show with us. I know it's been a blast for me and Brooke to come back on together. Um, yeah, I think we, we, we nerd out too much with each other sometimes, so it's fun and I enjoy it. So again, if you have any other show recommendations you want to hear from us that we want to talk about or tackle, please send them our way. If you need to reach me, you can reach me on Instagram at coach underscore GB three or at our George at softly.com. If you want to email me there, um, Brooke, how do they get you? I'm at Brooke West underscore RDN. And you can always email me at Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E at softly.com. Sick. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in for this show. And we're looking forward to what you guys think. And hopefully we can get some researchers on the show for us. That'd be dope. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Brooke, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye, George.